Career Day Live is a Stop Clowning Around production. You can learn how Stop Clowning Around helps people succeed in life and career by mastering the art of connection and relationships by visiting StopClowningAround.com or Facebook.com forward slash StopClowningAround. If you were that child who got a thrill out of taking many items out of your mom's kitchen, mixing them together just to see what might happen, or your favorite day at school was the day you went to lab and got to put on the goggles and apron and mix all kinds of controlled chemicals just to see what the outcome might be, it's likely that you might enjoy the world of science. And in today's episode, we speak with Elise Mullins, who shares what the world of research and development within the pharmaceutical world as a scientist actually looks like. Elise, thanks for taking some time and sharing a little bit about your role. To start, can you tell us what is your title and how did you get there? Sure thing. So my title is Scientist in an analytical research and development group at Pfizer, which is a pharmaceutical company. Um, Initially, when I was finishing up high school, I knew that I liked chemistry quite a bit. Um, I was the kid that liked to mix my sodas together and take clay or Play-Doh and try to make different colors. So I knew I kind of liked the chemistry aspect of things, doing logic puzzles, kind of the math part fit in pretty well, but I wasn't exactly sure what a career would look like um, as a chemist. Um, But I knew that pharmacists help people. Um, Making medicine sounded like something that could be up my alley. So initially I started as a pre-pharmacy major um, and I went to SIUE um, to initially study and become a pharmacist. About two years into college, I realized that I didn't actually wanna be the person behind the counter I actually wanted to be the person um, way earlier in the process and do the research on the medicines themselves before they ever actually get to the pharmacy. So that was kind of my path of getting to where I am now of wanting to study and research and figure out new medicines for people. Um, So that was, I guess, the initial school part. Um, Ended up getting a degree just a bachelor's degree in biochemistry. And then from there, I just honestly started looking for jobs. And I guess I kind of got a little bit lucky and I got a contract role with Pfizer about three months out of school, Um, worked there for about a year and then ended up getting a full-time position shortly after. So that was kind of the journey. So you said your title is a scientist. That actually feels a little broad or sounds a little broad to me. And I think probably can mean a lot of different things based on what organization you work at. And and uh, that role could probably shift a little bit. Can you really delve in a little more of what that really does mean, uh, I guess, at Pfizer? Yeah, so I, I started as an associate scientist, and that's just kind of the way they build it up. So at first, you're in the associate level. And so at this point now, I'm finally a, a real scientist. Um, but essentially I'm in the lab quite a bit 
And then you sort of, as your career moves along, you move into more project roles or technical roles. Um, you know, when people end up in kind of more of a management track, they're not going to be in the lab anymore, but they're still expected to have a breadth of knowledge on the science that occurs in the lab so that they can coach and mentor people. Um, but they're more in meetings and in strategies on how to lead projects and how to help, you know, junior colleagues grow as scientists. But it is kind of what you would expect. I mean, if you watch any shows and you see people in the lab, that's that's kind of my day to day. I put on a lab coat, put on my safety glasses and go to work in the lab. So it's fun. <laughs> I was going to ask that, uh, you know, here in St. Louis, we have a science center and part of one of their exhibits is you can go in and you put on the lab coat and you put on the safety glasses and you do the experiment. So what I hear you say is, in essence, that's all true. Your experiments are just real life experiments and you're trying to find solutions to real world health problems. Exactly. Yep. Um so I can talk about a little bit more of the day-to-day is that, if that's where you want to go. I would love to hear that. I would actually like to know a little bit, uh, of, you know, because so many people are looking for a job with purpose. And when I start hearing about what you're doing, I would think that there is extreme purpose with this job because you truly are at the forefront to potentially solve a major issue uh, in regards to health. Yes. So I can't say everything about the projects I'm working on now, but I will say that I do go to work with a lot of drive and a lot of meaning because I know that there's the potential to help people. For example, one of the main areas that we're working on right now is gene therapy. So essentially taking um, genetic diseases where there is no cure at this point and trying to figure out how to tackle those problems and potentially cure somebody from something that um, they were born with. So hemophilia is one that I think we can say, I think that's out in the news at this point. Um, It's, it's really rewarding to work on projects like that. um, When you know that you have the potential to really change somebody's life for the better. You know, Elise, I'm kind of curious. One of the things I've always heard, and I don't know how accurate it is, but in the world of pharmaceutical development, the life cycle from the testing and the lab work to ultimately ever making it to the general public can be an extremely long cycle. So do you ever... Is it possible that you could spend time in your career working on something that you never even get to see come to the general public? Oh, absolutely. Um, Especially when I started working at Pfizer, there was kind of this rule of thumb of, you know, we may be working on five, 10 projects at a time, not necessarily me working on all of those, but our group or our department. And it was kind of like, we'd be lucky to get one to market um, because research is hard. Um, Not everything works. Things don't go as you expect them to. Uh, So people, you know, found it to be 
really exciting when we actually got something that was successful, um, that the FDA would buy into and essentially that, you know, we'd be able to help people for the long run. So yeah, like you said, you may work on something for 10 years and eventually it gets shut down for whatever reason. It is a long process. (laughs) Well, let me go here, you know, as we move to the day-to-day on what the day-to-day actually looks like for you. I'm picturing you and other scientists in the lab with the, again, the safety glasses, the lab coat. It makes me think back to science class and even chemistry class, and we had some labs. And, you know, the labs back then, it was predetermined what the outcome would be. So I guess really the question that I'm trying to get at is, do you go in every day with a set order of process that you must do that someone else is telling you? Or is there a level of creativity and research that you're having to do the work to say, wow, this was the outcome with this, but what if we did this? So I would say yes to both of those questions. Um, And this probably goes into some of the day-to-day. So initially, right out of school, your main goal is to learn as much as possible about the projects and the techniques within the group. So for example, you're working on one project and it's kind of like you need to try to wrap your, start wrapping your mind around it. Um, which means we'll get samples in from different partner lines that we work with. So there's one group that, basically makes the product. So we're in, I'm in an analytical group. We just do all the testing for them. Um, there is a level of expectation when they're submitting samples day in and day out of what they are looking for when they're consistently making a product over and over again. Yes, they may be t- tweaking something here and there saying, you know, what happens if we hold this at room temperature overnight instead of put it in the fridge? So they're making small changes. Um, But when I first started, you know, I'm running the exact same test every single day, trying to give good data back to that customer. Um, So initially it is, you know, kind of methodical. It it literally is reading a method, running it every single day and trying to just um, become equipped as a scientist, become familiar with the tools, the resources we have in our group. And um, like I said, kind of learning about the big picture of a project, you know, how pure is this? Is this thing stable for three months, six months, two years? Um, What all is in it? How much is there? Those are the kinds of questions that you're trying to tackle, you know, as a newer scientist. Um, But it is kind of, you know, somebody else has already written a method for you. You're just following a recipe, basically. I would say now where I am, and I've been working at Pfizer for nine, 10 years, um, I am in a little more of a role where I can explore and kind of be more creative, like you said. Um, So one of the projects that I'm mainly involved in right now has to do with using a virus as kind of a way of carrying uh, DNA 
for cancer. I think I can say that. Um, so my role is really to try to understand as much about this virus as possible, um, which means there's a lot that we don't know. And some of that is trial and error. Um, I know some techniques that I am familiar with that I can use. Um, you know, you also look at literature and journals and see what are other companies doing on maybe a similar project and then figure out, you know, how do I take that idea, that concept, and then from what I know about the virus that I'm working on, you know, how can I apply that? Um, a lot of it, it feels like kind of slowly putting the pieces of a puzzle together. You know, you come up um, with one solution to a, a problem and it kind of opens the door for the next keys to go hunting after. Um, but really I, that's probably my favorite thing about my job right now is the fact that I get to play a little bit in the lab and just kind of tackle these challenging questions, knowing that I won't get to an answer in a day. You know, sometimes things take months to figure out, but, um, collaborating with other people and, you know, when you get to that point where you're like, Oh my gosh, we figured it out. We found the answer. That's always a really really good, rewarding day. Yeah. And you, you allude to the fact that it takes time to come up to this. And I guess the experimentation is the correct word uh, of putting that data together over time. Do you ever have those times though, where you're just in bed at night and maybe it just wakes you up out of sleep or these unique moments where you weren't even thinking about a solution or how something was working. And then it just jumps in your head of, wait a minute, that might be it. We got to try it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The guy that I'm working with the most closely right now, he's a project lead. And then I'm kind of the representative right below him. And he will frequently come in early in the morning. It's like, oh my gosh, I was on the treadmill this morning. And I just realized something about empty virus particles. I was like, oh my gosh, I was thinking about that, you know, last night. And so he kind of has these aha moments and you know, then you figure out, well, what are we going to do about it? We have this idea, but how do you prove something or how do you tackle that concept? And to be honest, this week has been one of those where, you know, we've had this idea in our minds, honestly, since January of this year, but trying to figure out how to make it, like how to take an idea and turn it into real data where somebody else could understand the concept. That's, start, that's actually happened this week. So it's been a cool process. But yeah, everything takes a lot longer than I think people might realize or might um, expect in science. And because this is a podcast and most podcasts are recorded earlier than they're released, it is important for me to help, I think, people understand the timing here. You talked about an idea that started early this year, January this year, let's say, This podcast is being recorded in November of the same year. So we're talking 11 months of processing this type of information to come up with not necessarily even a solution, but maybe a new idea to even try. So that's pretty mind-boggling to me, yet at the same time, I think pretty exciting. Elise, I also like to drop Mm -hmm. little nuggets for those who are listening, because typically the listeners here are searching for what their career might be, and they they may want to know what are some of the keys to success. And one thing I think is very important in this is you may report to work, and let's say you do the 8 to 5 or the 9 to 5 that so many think about within their work hours, 
But I would probably argue that your greatest value, and you were talking about your peer, your greatest value comes in the off-hours thinking and utilizing Mm -hmm. that time to bring that knowledge that you thought of off the clock into the clock. And I just want to encourage anyone who's looking to really have success in their career to ensure that even though you might not be working on the clock, man, allow your brain to work and explore and come up with new ideas because that's where the gold is usually found. Yeah, that's a great point. And especially sometimes you get into the day-to-day and there isn't always a lot of time to think. You get stuck in meetings or you have people constantly asking you questions or you need to get this or that task completed. And sometimes it's hard to just sort of sit back and think for a few minutes. Um, you almost feel guilty for, you know, not accomplishing the next task. Um, so, yeah, like you said, you know, those sometimes those evening hours are valuable for sure. Well, Elise, you mentioned one of your favorite parts of the job is just the creativity and the coming up with, again, a new idea, a new solution and getting to work that through. And I can see why that's pretty great. But one thing I know about every job is, you know, we always see the green pasture, but I know there's things about every job that maybe is just not as exciting as others may see. And I think we've been talking about the exciting points up to this point. Can you share maybe one or two things about your job that's not so much fun? Yep, there are definitely those things as well. So I guess like you would expect from any science class in high school or college, um, there's a fair amount of documentation that has to be done, which is not always fun. Um, There's report writing that is necessary. So For example, if I'm trying to solve one of these big, hairy questions that's out there, I may approach that question from multiple different areas. And my gut nature would say, just go in the lab, set up a bunch of experiments and hope for the best. But I can't do it that fast because I'm slowed down by the process of having to write everything down as I go. We're supposed to do everything contemporaneously is what they say. So kind of have to document things in real time, which means if I'm, you know, adding 20 microliters of my sample and 50 microliters of some kind of solution, that all has to be written down. I have to write down which instruments I'm using, um, even down to, you know, the small stuff like I stirred this for five minutes and here's the stir plate that I put it on. So those kinds of things, it feels like it slows you down and can just kind of be monotonous. But I understand that it's necessary for accountability purposes. It's just not always the most exciting part of the job. Just a curious question. Oh, go ahead. Just a simple curious question on that is when you're writing, is that via notebook or is that by typing into the computer system because I know some people really enjoy the aspect of writing and some people really enjoy the aspect of typing on a keyboard. Yeah, so we've actually switched to full electronic laboratory notebooks. They still kind of appear like a notebook, but um, it's all on our computers now. I was 
definitely okay with getting away from the written notebooks. Um, but you're right. Some people actually did prefer to write everything down. But yeah, we're all electronic now. I figured as much, but I was just kind of curious. So thank you for uh, answering that one for me, for my own personal yep. enjoyment. Now I'll let you, you it sounded like you had another idea or another thought that you'd like to give us another aspect that just showing us the real life of this job. Yeah, I think sometimes there can just be too many meetings. Um, you don't usually think about that in science, but uh, to progress a product, there's a fair amount of meetings that have to happen where people are strategizing or coming up with the next experiment. And also, I think th these are the ones that are the worst. I work for a company that's nearly 100,000 people. So there are a lot of global culture type meetings that are necessary. You know, they'll have, here are our fourth quarter uh, goals that we've accomplished. And here's our next motto that we're going to try to live by for the next year. You know, let's own the business or let's um, take risks this year. So those kinds of things can just eh, be a little... I don't know, a little too cheesy for me <laughs> and kind of feel like a waste of time sometimes. Can I just go back and to And they're the coming lab. from people that I will that I will never meet, you know. They're coming from corporate, which is just so far removed from anything that I feel like I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. No, I get it. And I'm sure you're thinking, I've got a project I'm working on. Just let me go back to the lab and uh, keep at it. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Well, Elise, I, I think you've given us a really good understanding of what it means to be a scientist in this uh, lab and research type of role. And for the listeners who are sitting here saying, you know, this sounds like my cup of tea. This, I like this. I would love to just be spending my days doing this type of work. But many can't seem to make that transition without knowing, eh, will it fit their lifestyle, their budgetary needs, their income needs? So we always got to jump to this part of the conversation of what does an average income range look like for a scientist based on the knowledge you have? So at least in the Midwest, um, coming out of school with either a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, you would start at around fifty to sixty thousand. I think if you had a PhD, it'd be closer to a hundred thousand. And I guess one good thing, or at least in my eyes, there's always room for growth and promotion. Um, it's actually a little bit competitive, which appeals to my nature. I know some people maybe aren't as drawn to that, um, but I knew that when I started, I had the opportunity to get raises every year, get promotions, receive bonuses if I worked hard enough. So you can, um, you know, easily double, triple your income by the time you're at the end of your career. I think most management is probably around 150000 So you basically start, or it seems like everybody starts in that starting role to learn the process and uh, there's lots of opportunities. I would assume 
you know, you mentioned your organization, Pfizer, humongous organization. So you just stay in there. Your entire career has loads of opportunity. But even if you mm-hmm. chose not to stay at one organization, I would think that this type of work and the need for this type of work is everywhere. And the ability to grow your income, as you say, is, um, you know, it, that just abounds. Yes. And I know when I said my title at the beginning was scientist, and that sounds pretty broad and vague to you, that is actually a standard um, standard ranking that would translate to any other company. So everybody is going to know what that, where that falls in the ladder. It's, it's very constant across all pharmaceutical companies. So if I'm a scientist and I wanted to move into management, and I'm probably actually jumping the gun a little bit on another question I want to ask. But if I'm a scientist and I want to move to management, do I need to go get a business degree or are they just looking for people who have leadership qualities and moving them into that type of role? I honestly don't know if anybody in management within my group has a business degree, uh, which is a little surprising. And sometimes we talk about how you go to school to be a scientist and then you end up, if you decide to go down that track, you end up being more of a project manager or business person. Um, They do have leadership training and courses that you can go through within the company, you know, a lot of resources, but you don't necessarily have to have a business degree. Um, A lot of it is just putting in your time within the company, taking on small leadership roles at the beginning, like a project role, um, moving into, you know, maybe mentoring or managing interns or contractors. And then, you know, you can eventually interview or apply for a group lead position. Um, so there is, there is an application process and you kind of have to prove that you have the ability to lead well, communicate, um, understand the science, be able to help people grow in their careers. It can't, you know, it can't be just like a very technical person, they actually have to show that they have the ability to work well with a lot of different types of people with different goals and motivations. So there's a a process for it, but yeah, no business degree is really necessary. You know, and that's probably a really good thing. It allows you to grow and shift um, as you develop as a person without having to go back and get additional degrees. And that's actually where I'd like to hang. Mm -hmm. I told you I I jumped ahead a little bit. But this is a job that to me, and I may be wrong, to me seems like it's pretty much a one door in. I would think that you have to get a degree in science in order to uh, to get this type of role, to be a scientist. Is that an accurate statement? Or for someone, I, I guess really what I'm asking is for someone that would like to be a scientist, what would you recommend when it comes to college? Yeah, actually, college really does matter for this one. Not necessarily where you go to college, but no one is going to get their foot in the door without having at least a bachelor's degree. Um, although it's a little bit varied on you know where people, what kind of degrees people get. For me, I decided to go the biochemistry route, which is chemistry with a little bit of understanding about how it works in the body. A lot of my colleagues are just straight biology majors. Um, Some people were pre-veterinarian and then decided they wanted to do this 
a research thing instead. There's actually a couple people that have engineering degrees. So there's a couple ways in, but yeah, like you said, you do have to have a degree in science uh, in order to start. There, there may be a few jobs. I'm trying to think, there might be a couple jobs where you probably have to have a degree, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in science. Although, I don't know, it might be, that's not really my specialty. Or there, there isn't anybody in my group, at least, that doesn't have a science degree. I understand. And, you know, really, when you talk about the day-to-day and the description of what you do, I'm not really sure that anyone with a different degree would be interested in this type of work anyway. It seems to me that this is a little bit of a passion that you have from your mm-hmm. schooling, your younger years that just develops and you continue on, uh, you're just helping us understand that, hey, there are real careers out here to be a scientist. If this is your passion, feel free to get that degree and you're going to do just fine. Yeah. I will say when I was in school and thinking about the concept of you know, being a scientist for the rest of my life, it sounded a little boring to me because I kind of had this impression that I would be isolated in a lab, you know, kind of that typical nerdy scientist you think about where they're just always working on something and things are blowing up around them and they have, you know, the, a big mess around them, and just too much going on. And what I found, you know, is not, that's not really the case. I don't feel isolated in my job. I feel like we have, a really great environment to work in where I constantly have the ability to learn from other people, collaborate, um, you know, take on tasks, not on my own. I'm not expected to be the expert on everything. And I think that's a really, uh, really good feeling to have when I go into work every day, that there's, there's not this expectation that I have to figure everything out on my own or else, you know, I'm not good at my job. There's really opportunity to work with a lot of different kinds of people. And that's, also something that's, you know, been surprising, but uh, really awesome about this environment. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Elise. You and I actually know each other. We go back several years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if I wouldn't have known it uh, about how smart you are, your background and where you work, in many ways, I, I'm not sure I would have ever guessed that you were uh, that you are a scientist because yeah. you're a pretty outgoing person. And so I think some of the listeners may be thinking, well, you know, this is for someone who is a total introvert and wants to hide in a lab. You're actually, I'm not going to say a full onboard extrovert, but you're pretty outgoing. And that, I lean more that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was great feedback because what you're telling us is, you you can socialize. You can have um, you can work with groups and teams. And there's an aspect of this job that yeah you can you can nerd it up if you want. But there's also a level of socialization that I think is important for most of us. If anybody is, there are those people that are extremely smart, extremely technical. And there is a role for them as well. You can go into the lab and become an expert on something very specific and become a person that, you know, people go to when they need a problem to be solved. Um, They may not be in this matrix team environment as much, and that's also okay. 
So a lot of different routes you can go. Well, Elise, I think I have one more question for you. And I, I say okay. it that way because a lot of times you'll say something that always drives that one more. But you mentioned mm-hmm. at the very beginning of this conversation that you kind of lucked into or fell into your first role, the contract role. At the same time, you're into your role now for 10 years. So you are an experienced scientist. If you could look back to the Elise that is just getting out of school and give her some guidance on how to find the role a little more successfully without falling into it. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, what would okay. you tell yourself? I think there are opportunities in your junior or senior year of college that I maybe didn't take full advantage of, such as you can do research projects with a professor. I did do one of those, um, but then there are opportunities to present your work at kind of a big kid science fair, if you will. And at some of those, uh, they will have representatives from different companies in the area that will maybe come judge the posters or just kind of come walk around and talk to you about your research. So those are opportunities to start rubbing shoulders with people in the industry. It would have been a good chance to ask questions about, you know, what is science really like in the real world? Um, I'm trying to think. I didn't, I don't know other than that, if there are major networking opportunities, I think um, Pfizer definitely has an intern program for anyone that's between their junior and senior year of college. That could have been something that would have been, you know, a great opportunity to get your foot in the door just to even learn about the types of departments that we have, different kinds of work that we do. Uh, So I think probably other companies have internships as well. It's just not something I even thought about looking for when I was, you know, 21 between my junior and senior year. So if I could go back, I maybe maybe would have taken advantage of something like that. You know, Elise, I have yet to do an interview on any job type out there that does not come down to networking. Finding Mm -hmm. people in an organization or a role that you can connect to at some level, whether that be an association, whether that be a uh, little fair that you talked about, whether that be through internship. And I think that is something that is hard for most of us because we're afraid of rejection. We don't like to ask people for help. But the reality is if you really want the highest opportunity for success – We have to put ourselves out there in environments that give us access to other people to network and ultimately get where we want to be. Yep, absolutely. When I say that I lucked into this, um, so I, like I said, I went to SIUE and the guy that hired me was also an SIUE alum. We didn't know each other, but he reached out to the head of the chemistry department, uh, And that's kind of how I ended up getting the job. So it was a matter of networking. It just wasn't completely driven by me. That's I I got a little lucky on being on the receiving end of it, 
but you know, it did come down to who knew who at that point. Always does. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you for taking some time and just sharing about your role and what you do and helping us understand it a little better. I am confident that you've accomplished the job of helping some other future scientists realize this is what they are called to be and that it is the role that they should be in. And I hope that you've also helped others realize, yeah, this is not for me. Either way, it's a win. Yep. And I want to thank you again for your time. This program is only possible with the support of guests that care about helping others find their calling. If you or someone you know would be interested in sharing, please email us at cdl at stopclowningaround.com.